Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Country Israel, Joel Conan, and Dennis Dick with you this morning. Uh, more of the same here, preparing for what looks like it'll be a down open. We'll talk about the implications of the overnight activity on this morning's market sentiment. Some of that is due to coronavirus, some of it is due to uh, a, lot, a lot of earnings on our radar as well. So coronavirus, earnings, Tesla, got to talk about Tesla, secondary offering, can't say I blame them. So a lot to get to on our show today. Our guest, Joe Saluzzi from Themis Trading, he will join us at 8.35. In the meantime, Joel, tell us what's happening here in the overnight session. We got some red on the screen off the pre-market lows. Uh, opened up right near the high from yesterday. Uh, that was 81 and a half. Uh, optimism on the open, 82.50, pre-market high, all-time high. That'd be a great target on the upside. Don't think we're going to get back to that today. Pre-market low, 48.50. That's uh, three ticks below my bottom level at 49 and a quarter. So I may have some more work to do here. Only possible mid-range here. See what happens at 65 and a half for a lower risk short. But, folks, I, I don't know. Your range for the day could already uh, already be in here. Let's take a look at uh, some of the other markets here. You have crude in the red by 19 cents at 50.98. Gold up 420 at 15.75.80. Silver in the green as well, 0.093 cents at 17.59. And Bitcoin, once again, uh, volume here today. Uh, 9,000 contracts have traded down a buck 95 at 10,330. Uh, Triple D, I'm going to bring you in here. And uh, not what you want to hear regarding uh, the coronavirus. No, and even regardless, like we knew they were underreporting the cases over in China. And obviously, you know, we're, you know they, they've adjusted now the way that they're reporting. And that's why you've seen the huge pop last night to over 14,000 new cases. Uh, I don't know why, you know, the deaths are higher because they said there's a new way of reporting the deaths or a new method of calculating the deaths. So I'm not sure I would think dead people are dead people, but maybe they're like now checking to make sure, you know, the people who are dying. Now, if they have the coronavirus or not, maybe they're looking at that, but the deaths toll uh, jumped up huge. That's concerning, and the market is down because of that. What's more concerning to me is what's happening in Japan, um, because there's four new cases here this morning. 
just announced and one person uh, was found after she was dead. So they found one, I don't know if they found on the autopsy, but a case, uh, one, one person is dead and they found this, uh, that the person had coronavirus after, uh, after she was dead. So how long was she, I'm not sure it was a she or a he, but how long was this person walking around on the street? Um, there's a taxi cab driver that has it now. There's another random person who just came out a few minutes ago. So they got four new cases from not the ship. We're not talking about the ship. We're talking from mainland Japan. So starting to spread there too, which is concerning. We know Singapore has an issue. We know UK has an issue where they're starting to get some spread. Um, you know, we can say we've done very well with only having this many cases, but the incubation period is oh, so long. And I also challenge like, they're, they're mainly just testing people who have been to China. They're not just grabbing random people on the street and, and just testing everybody who's got the flu. For example, my, my daughter, my two-year-old daughter has the flu, um, had the flu. I brought her in there a couple weeks ago and she's fine now, but she had, had the flu and I brought her in and, you know, they just check her. Oh yeah, it's a flu, you know, she'll get over it and you go about your way. They're not just testing, you know, they're not going to test people just with the flu. They don't have the capacity to do that. I mean, you know, millions of people get the flu. There's probably at any given time, millions of people that have the common flu. But, you know, some of these people in certain areas could potentially actually have the coronavirus and they're just going undetected like this person in Japan walking around on the street and all of a sudden, you know, it gets more sick and you die and then they test afterwards and yes, she was, did have the coronavirus. So it is scary. It is very, very scary, not only from a market perspective, but just from a human perspective. Like I said, I feel very sorry for all the people in China, uh, but, you know, the situation in Japan is very concerning and you just wonder you know you, you hear scott gottlieb talk on cnbc and he's like doing the math on you know where, from where it goes from a couple of people who have it to pandemic and it really took about two months in japan so if you think of or, or not japan i'm sorry in china so if you think about it from from here um we probably you know introduced this you know less than a month ago so we're still at so early innings in North America. We're definitely not out of the woods. Well, the, so, so, so the first, uh, the, the Chinese authorities reported coronavirus to the WHO December 31st. So, and the first cases in China were like December 12th-ish. Somewhere they're around. even saying as early as November 29th, they're pegging it now. So it was really a month yeah. before it even got, you know, hey, there's a problem here. It's about a month. So I don't know, like, and that's what Scott Lieb was, you know, tweeting out, um, Scott Gottlieb, um, who I follow on, and, you know, I think he really knows what he's talking about. He's just like, he kind of got to back up the calendar and think, okay, well, when was it first introduced into North America? Uh, because, you know, it, it seems to be about a six to eight week period before it starts to become a serious issue. I mean, there's no way we're at eight weeks here yet. We're not even, I don't even know if we're at four weeks yet. So we're early, early innings here. Um, you know, obviously I bought some in portfolio insurance, which was very early. The, the stuff I bought in June would be covered better. I'm probably going to buy more portfolio insurance. Still fully invested, still long. I, like I said, I did sell a few stocks. I shouldn't say I'm fully invested. I did sell a few stocks, but some of my swing trade longs. But, you know, but, and I'm still but going, going back to yesterday, going back yeah. to yesterday, still, still long overnight? Uh, no, I wasn't last night because I, I saw the big jump. So I was actually a little biased to the short side. I had been playing long overnight, but with the big jump and obviously S&P sold off before the eight o'clock close. Yeah, that, happened. To the short that helped side. you out, right? Did it happen before eight? Yeah, I mean, you can, and I'm not trying to say I'm trying to make money on all this, but you know, you're trading. So no. you, know, you are, you're trading the headlines and you're like, that's going to be concerning. I saw short Carnival Cruise Lines last night. I mean, you're going to, you know, think that this is probably going to bring down 
um, you know, some of those stocks that are obviously, you know, right in the thick of it. So, I mean, as traders, you got to trade the headlines. You trade what you, what you see. You know, as an investor, I'm still partially hedged in the long-term portfolio. I went out to June. I'm going to probably buy more protection. You know, maybe we rally here. This market just has the, the tendency to shrug everything off. So maybe we rally again. Maybe I get Dennis, more cheap protection. Dennis, can we can we turn this into a little bit of a like an educational thing? Sure. Because uh, you know, a very good question here. You're mentioning the word portfolio insurance, right? Yeah. And we got a question here. You know, how do you buy portfolio insurance? And that, that we could probably do an hour show on that. Um, but there's several different ways to do it, right? Yeah. I mean, if you don't want to pay premium, you can write calls. You know, if you think, you know, if, if you just think it's going to be a little blip thing and you want to take in premium, you can, you can always write calls against your stocks. And then if it comes in a little bit, you obviously get to keep that premium. So that's actually how you, you can actually make money. But um, I, I, I didn't in this case. I actually flat out bought puts. And like I said, I, um, I rarely, rarely buy puts. Like I'm talking like this is like, you know, happens – you know, once in a decade scenario where I'm going to be nervous enough to buy puts on my portfolio. Um, but I just don't know how this plays out. And what I see in Japan now and what I see happening a little bit in the UK, um, it's concerning, you know, and the markets over here are not going to get really concerned until it starts spreading in North America. You're not going to see S&P futures really start to get spanked, I don't think, until you start to see, you know, some more cases pop up here. But we're so early. We can't, you cannot just say that risk doesn't exist. And the market is really pricing it like it doesn't exist. I think it's an inefficiency. And that's why, you know, when I go out to June, so for example, what I did on my portfolio, and this was, when, and I'm down in this, so you'll be able to buy it cheaper here today. Because when this SPY was 333, so we're 335 here now, um, I was able to buy the June 333 puts, so right at the money, for just over 10 bucks. I think it was $10.50. Um, so, and then that gives me about four and a half months of protection. I'm pretty sure this is going to play out one way or another by June. I bought some earlier portfolio insurance when I wasn't educated enough. Um, you know, in February, that's going to expire worthless. So I didn't go out far enough with that insurance. But the stuff in June, I think I'm probably pretty good there. For you know, it, It's going to play out either way. It's either going to really spread by June or it's going to be a non-event. The market's going to continue higher. So if you just figure out $333, $10.50, costs you about 3%. You're paying about 3% for four and a half months of protection. I don't mind doing that. And obviously, you know, the markets even went up more than 3% last week. So, you know, I'm glad I didn't sell everything. You know, I, I'm making it back. You know, I've already made back what I paid for that portfolio insurance pretty much from the market move here the last yep. week and a half. So, so, it, so, Dennis, so why did you buy puts as opposed to selling call options? Because the puts will protect me in the event that this is like a big, if this turns into a something big. If you, if you write those calls and you get 10 bucks for you, you have 10 points of downside protection. I think this is an event that if it really gets ugly, this isn't going to be like a, a market falls two or 3%. If this really gets ugly and starts to spread, this could be a 20, 30% fall in the markets. It could happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it has the potential to happen. I mean, if you start seeing people die um, outside of China, it's going to start to get more concerning. I mean, China's a mess. We know that it's offline and we don't know the implications even if it just stays in China. But again, you know, Carnival Cruise Lines warns and they buy it yesterday. So you can see how, you know, it, it's scary to be short this market too because they just want to shrug off any type of bad news. You know, I had Nike warned about the coronavirus last week. They shrugged it off, bought the stock higher. Yep. You have, um, you know, obviously Carnival Cruise Lines yesterday, warning in the pre-market. They shrugged it off, bought the stock higher. They had Baba warning here this morning. 
um, on, you know, the, 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 the numbers beat and Bob was trading higher, but then they talked on the call and they were warning about the coronavirus and that's why the stock is down a little bit here. Are they going to shrug it off and buy it higher? Maybe, but eventually at a certain point, there'll be a tipping point where that buy the dip will turn into sell the rip or that buy the dip will turn into sell the dip. Um, and that's why I'm just hedging myself. I, don't, I, I am worried enough to pay 3% to protect uh, my portfolio. And I'm only partially hedged, but I'm thinking about adding to it. I'm thinking about adding more today. Maybe we bought, like I said, this market's so silly, it'd probably just buy it right back up again because it finds a way to be positive about everything. And, and maybe it's going to expire worthless. Best case scenario, doesn't be a contagion. My puts expire worthless. I'm still long on my stocks and I go about my way just losing my 3%. Real quickly, when you, when you sell calls, let's say you're selling the 325 call here in Apple for $4, right? You're protected down to 321. Yeah. But once the stock falls below 321, your, your protection is gone. So an yeah. even more sophisticated strategy, and I think people have to have Nick on again. If I think if Dennis, if you were really super, if you wanted to go a little bit more bearish, you could sell calls and then take that premium in that you're selling the calls from and buying puts. Now that you got, you know, you're you're talking about risking more your portfolio by doing that, but that's what some people also some people do. They sell calls, they take that premium in, and you then, lose the entire upside though in that exactly. case. Exactly. And you I mean, you go to put call parity if you're doing that the same strike, it's just the same as shorting stocks. Exactly. So yep. you know, so if you want to do that, you can sell calls and buy puts, but at the same time, that's you're just basically mimicking a short stock scenario. So you know, you can look up put call parity if you want to Google it quickly, but that's what it is. It's on Vertical collar. Amory Band is calling it. So there's a lot of different ways, and just also we'll, we'll move on this for a second. I think it also depends where you're at in your investment time you know well it does i mean you know and i'm I'm not i'm not hedging everything either so i'm not going full on that i'm hedging a chunk of it because you know i did go through and believe me guys and guys and girls if you've been in the markets for the last 10 years you've never experienced a real bear market they can say oh we fell 20 percent during this or we fell 18 percent." you never experienced the financial crisis you never experienced the tech bubble, when markets fell 70 to 80%. That can happen. Believe me, it can. I'm not saying it's going to. I'm just saying it can. But it's events like this. It was the same thing during the financial crisis, right? And I'm not saying this is going to turn into an ugly route. But if this starts to spread seriously, you could see how this could be a catalyst for a serious market correction or a serious bear market. You could see it. Um, There's a lot. And and people say the market knows more than you do. You know, it's efficient. Uh, I make my money, I've made my entire life because the efficient market hypothesis is false. The market is not efficient. Don't kid yourself. There's no, I, 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 I've traded professionally for 21 years. I make my money by extracting alpha from market inefficiencies. So the efficient market hypothesis is false. I can guarantee you it is false. The market prices stuff in, but it did not price in the financial crisis. There was lots of there was lots of opportunity. Remember the Bear Stearns puts or the Bear Stearns preferred stock that I shorted back in the financial crisis, and this was already at it was already starting to get rumors that hey, this might be something a little more serious. And I can remember having this conversation with my wife on Bear Stearns, and Bear Stearns' preferred stock was trading at par. It had traded at par for seven years, twenty five dollars. Just doesn't move. It's a six percent yielder. Doesn't move. And I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I don't know if Bear Stearns you know, is going down. I don't think it's going down. 
but I'm like, there is a chance it's going down. And I can short this preferred and just basically just pay the 6% fee. There wasn't a lot of borrow costs back then in 2007. Pay the 6% you know, dividend and get a shot at you know, potentially that this is something big. Three weeks later, that preferred stock went from $25 to 12. It eventually actually went back up because it got taken out obviously and bailed out. But um, you know, this, was an, it was, wasn't like, you know, a move. this was a stock that didn't do anything for seven years. I was three weeks early, but three weeks early, and I was able to make a serious amount of money on that, you know, like six digit money on that. And there, you know, there's opportunities like this where the market, you know, misprices. It is not counting in risk from the coronavirus at all. I mean, we're bloody up since we've discovered this. The market is discounting all risk from the coronavirus. It's saying it doesn't exist. I believe the market is wrong. I, I, and that's why I'm buying puts. Again, you know, you can't be trading this on the short side of getting your face ripped off right now. So, you know, as an active trader, you just trade what you've got. Uh, in my active trading portfolio, I'm probably not going to get real bearish until we get under 330 spot. But from a portfolio perspective, I think the insurance is very cheap right now. And why not? Also, if you're nervous. Yeah. Also, like we're, we're using like portfolio insurance and vertical collars and, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of language you might have to do a little homework on. But uh, someone mentioned this in, in the chat, you know, cash is a hedge. You know, if you're worried about the market, if you're unfamiliar with option strategies, if you're not. It is. It's, it, it is. It is cash, you know, is, is a hedge. I mean, better than being in the market. You, the, the reason I'm not liquidating my portfolio and going all the way that. to cash, though, for this reason is because if this doesn't get, if this does get contained, which we hope it does. You know, I hope for, you know, for people, for, you know, I don't want PC people die here. Um, I, I hope it does get contained, but, um, it, and, and if it does get contained, the market's going to be significantly higher. The market is not going to be at 335 just hanging out here on SPY. I think, you know, if this gets contained and gets off, you have people who are playing this from the short side, they're going to get caught. And, you know, we could seriously be at like 360 or 370 SPY if they, you know, because the earnings have been good. I mean, the market is moving. It wants to go. I was fully, you know, invested rah, rah, bull, bull here until this coronavirus thing popped up two and a half weeks ago. But there's a time to maybe buy protection. And when the VIX is at 14, and it is right now, I mean, okay, overnight, it's going to pop up here again because we're getting a little bit of fear. But it was close to 13.7. Portfolio insurance is on the cheap side. When you look at the VIX and you see the VIX 10 to 14, it's fairly cheap. If you're buying portfolio insurance when the VIX is 30, you're paying up significantly for it. So I just see a lot of potential for problems. That's all. Potential for problems. Why not hedge myself a little bit? So what I did, people asking me, I went out and bought the SPY, 333 puts for $10.50. They'll probably be like nine bucks today, maybe eight and a half bucks because the SPY has went up from there. So you can even get it cheaper there. If you want to go out the money, you're paying like 10, 50, 11 bucks. So it's fairly cheap. Um, that, 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 that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at in the long-term portfolio. And it's also worth pointing out, I'm Dennis, you're young enough where if the market like were to crash, you have time to recover. Right? Well, somewhat, you know, and, and when I was 23, yes. When I was 25, yes. I'm 43 now. You, um, you have time. You, I, I mean, have time, but I don't want to work for the rest of my life either here, Spencer. Right. So <laughs> right. oh, but I'm, I, I, I'm, hedging, I'm not hedging at all. I'm not going to hedge at all. I, I can't bring myself to hedge my entire portfolio. It could probably cost me a hundred grand. I, I can't bring myself to buy to spend that much money on puts. I've already spent ten, 
um, you know, but to hedge myself, you know, and, and obviously some of this is, is cheaper. So I'm going to have to roll because some of this, I bought a good chunk and, and I went with a lower strike because it was cheaper and that's going to expire. So I'm going to have to buy some out to June. I'm going to have to spend a little bit more money to protect myself. And I fully intend to do that. But I mean, it's scary when you're, when you have to come in and, you know, I, I don't like paying that bill. I don't want to be buying, you know, puts and giving up significant amounts of, you know, a, a premium and paying that. But in this case, I'm nervous enough, me personally, I am nervous enough to take out some insurance right now. That's all. And then on the other side of that, you get someone like me, to Joel's point, I'm dollar cost averaging like a bot. I'm not even, yeah. you know, it's, it's all, literally, it's automated. I don't even do it. It's just, it's, it's every month. So, you know. Did it, your bot it, sell the Under Armour or was that you? No, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> My, I sold the Under Armour. No, I mean, and, and folks too, if you're just tuning in and you've been listening over the show, you know, over the last week or so, this is just scenario analysis. All it is. It's, just, it's all it is. And Dennis is just looking at the factors from his, you know, uh, 20-some years of trading, and he is just giving you his opinion on things. You could do what you want with it, but it's just a scenario analysis. And how it plays out, you know, who knows? But that, you know, that's what we want to try and do. So anybody that's, you know, you know whatever, taking any uh, – you know, ill will or towards this or anything. It's just, it's just a scenario analysis is really the same thing that we do every day from eight to nine, every single day. Nobody knows how this is going to play out. If somebody says they know how this is going to play out, just stop listening because nobody knows how this is going to play out. It's going to play out one way or the other. It's going to become a global pandemic and a lot of people are going to get sick and a lot of people are going to die or it's going to get contained and we're, and we're going to get a vaccine, and we're not going to be talking about this in six months. Yep. One way or the other. It's going to be talked about nonstop in six months, or it's not going to be talked about at all. Either way, um, it's a, too big of an unknown for me to just throw, you know, I'm going fully invested. I'm not going to worry about it. And, and maybe it's because I went through a port. You know, I, I watched my portfolio in 2007, and this was different. The financial crisis was real bad. But, you know, I watched my portfolio get, and I was in conservative stocks, and I watched it get cut in half cut in half so whatever you made you know on your long-term investments i watched down more than 50 percent. but i mean you put it in perspective you know the s&p went from 1500 and changed to 666 70 percent correction markets were down 70 percent. so think about that you got a million bucks we got 300 grand now can you stomach that ask yourself that you know that's what you've got to ask yourself in certain instances i see a lot of similarities i'm not saying this is a financial crisis but this is a big enough thing and the financial crisis looked pretty small in the beginning, too. You had Peter Schiff, you know, talking about it. But there was a lot of people that were buying banks. You know, Citigroup went from, you know, $55 or $60 and was down to 50 And people are like, you got to just buy. I remember going to an investment conference. We are buying banks because we know this is going to always turn around. It always turns around. And they're saying we're buying banks. Citigroup ended up going to a dollar or $2. And it's still never recovered. You can say it came back. It hasn't. There was a 10 for 1 or whatever it was. What was the reverse split? 1 for 10? Or was it 1 for 20 even? Never came back. I mean, the all-time high on Citigroup. What's the all-time high on Citigroup, Joel? Oh, geez. That's good. Go grab it. We're just trying to give perspective because there's so many people have been caught, you know, and newer investors that haven't seen tough markets. We're just trying uh, to give 570. 570. So you held for the last 12 years since financial crisis. You're down a cool 80% on your money in Citigroup. AIG, what's the all-time high? AIG. Well, that 570 wasn't, that wasn't eight years ago. 12 years ago, 2007. That, that, that wasn't, that was, that was before that, but whatever. 2008. 
Uh, AIG, get your order out there at $2,042.96. $2,042 is the all-time high in AIG because I see this. People say, well, AIG came back. No, it didn't. You're just looking at the dollars because it's $55. Um, but, you know, that's not the case. It never came back. It's $2,000 because it did a 24 one reverse split. You never got your money back. You're never going to get your money back. There is issues, and obviously J.P. Morgan came back and really did make new all-time highs. There was a few survivors there. But, you know, there's stocks that never, ever recovered from that. Um, there's obviously a lot of stocks that did. And, you know, maybe long term, you know, we're fine. And this, I'm not saying this is going to be, you know, the end of times. And, you know, you've got to prepare yourself. But I see similarities where I could see this turning into, if this spreads and, 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 get, and really starts to spread, I, I could see the markets fall, falling 30 to 40%. I could see a scenario where that could happen. I don't want to stomach that again. That's all. And that's why I'm buying some insurance. That's all. All right, let's. Uh, we got Joe Saluzzi uh, coming on here. Ten minutes. Yeah, we love Joe. Yeah, we gotta talk. I mean, we want to. We want to talk teas. Do we want to talk tan? We want to talk Tesla. What do we? Tesla is what we want to talk. Tesla. So, so Tesla had a ten k out at seven fourteen this morning, and then about a half hour later, they announced a common stock offering. Woo! Awesome. We love offerings. They're, they're going to uh, raise uh, about $2 billion in an offering. We don't have a price, though. And always those prices matter. So once the price comes, that's obviously. So they're smart. They're using their inflated stock price to raise yep. some more cash. Why not? Why not? I don't know what they're, if they're saying there's a reason they're raising this cash. Have they said what, where the proceeds are going or anything? Uh, we'll use that proceeds from the offering to further strengthen its balance sheet. Okay. Yeah. So you know, just general, general corporate purposes. Elon is participating, of course. Larry Ellison is participating. They're buying very small. People want to buy my stock at an inflated price. I'll sell them stock. Yep. Sold to you. Sold and, to uh, you. And I saw, I saw Nick. You know, he posted a video yesterday talking about the consolidation and the quietness in it. And I'm like, and I did look at it. And I'm thinking, man, that would have been a good one. Because look at that. Look at those ranges after you. Oh, what happened there, Spencer? Oh, you sound louder, Joel. Wow. You actually sound better all of a sudden. Man, I do. We got to get this board fixed here. Uh, yeah, three days. It was like really quiet. I don't know what you could have done. Buying options on something like that, you know, playing like the 800 call. I mean, you probably would have had to spend like a zillion dollars. But boy, it was just too quiet. It was too quiet after it had that bump. Wasn't on Monday that guy wrote the article that was going to 1500. And that it, it failed miserably off that. Um, so I don't, I mean, you got to find out the offering price. Hard to give technicals here, but I think for you bulls out there, you got to keep an eye on 687. And that's still 50 bucks away. I don't know. For me, I'm like, I'm thinking like 700, but you know, who knows? And I guess Elon's buying some of the stock and, um, What's his name? Ellison is going to be buying some. Yeah. So, so ten million. So they're trying to like say, hey, we're going to buy, you know, a little bit here. We're buying two. So we're still buying up here. Allison's buying a million bucks. I mean, That's and and Musk's going to buy ten mil, two point three so, bill. So, one, so they're one, that's such a small piece that they're buying. They're just trying to say, hey, look, we're you know just trying to give we're a little vote. Of, they're trying to get a vote of confidence to it, to a certain extent, so that they don't really slam it on this. That's all that is. That's trying to give a little vote of confidence. Okay. All right. Uh, just look at the pre-market low here. That's just an intermediate number. Uh, they knocked it down to 712, back up at the 740 area. Let's see if I can find an intermediate low ahead of that 687. No, I can't. Uh, nothing. 
I see that the low on the next day was 7.30. So I think long-term holders of this one, I, I would keep an eye on 6.87. If 6.87 went by the, the leeway, then boom, I would look for a little bit more downside. And uh, never got that 50% pop off that 9.69, that eight six or 6.87 low. I was hoping for like 8.30. I think I was just a little bit choosy on that. The highest you got was 8.19.99. Uh, let's talk solar here. Uh, yeah. Solar is- And we, we talked about solar yesterday uh, as- uh, as being a hot a hot trade on the upside, well, not this morning. SunPower is dragging the rest of the sector down here. So they reported earnings after the close yesterday. The EPS beat twenty three cents for twenty one cents. The sales sales, however, missed six hundred seven for six hundred forty one million dollars. They gave some Q one sales guidance, and it was okay, I guess. But uh, they're smacking SunPower down, and because SunPower is down, so is. Most yeah, other big earnings, big stocks. Yep. Um, and it's a tough day too to report because actually last night, believe it or not, they knocked this down and they bought it back up and it almost got back to flat. And then it started to leak a little bit, but then you get the overall market sentiment has turned a little bit here, just at least for this morning. Um, so that doesn't help either. It's coming down. I mean, it was breaking out. I'd be more inclined if I was buying the dip, it'd be a stock like this. I'd be more inclined to buy the dip on, but I'm not buying any dips right now uh, just for the same reasons that I just talked about for 25 minutes. But um, I, I think you come back in it, it prices memory is lots of supporting here in the mid nines. Maybe yeah, it just goes through all that, but yeah, uh, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think this is something they're going to whoosh down to seven bucks. Yeah. There was also a downgrade, I believe from Cowan on that one, but that's kind of like after the fact, Jack, uh, Dennis is talking about this nine fifty area pre-market low comes in at, uh, nine forty six and kind of just been creeping up. Um, I see a couple lows right at nine fifty, but, uh, three days ago you pierced down to nine twenty one. So, I mean, I'll just call that, that zone, you know, 9, 930, 950. I mean, that's, that's, I think that would be the cheap area uh, in the stock if you're looking to buy this on a decline. In order to get to the bottom of yesterday's range, you don't have that far to go, 1010. Uh, that was a low from yesterday. We're not that far away from it all because of the big rally. So I use 10 bucks as resistance. And then as we said, most, most solar is down. Yeah, and Philly's. Tan, I just look at uh, JKS is down. Uh, they're they're all, all down. Can we yeah. do some of the big ones? Because we didn't do Baba. And I mean, this yeah, is widely sure. traded. Right over sure. it. Yeah, this, this this is what everybody's talking about here this morning. And and Spencer, I'll, I'll let you take it because obviously there's stuff on the conference call. Lots of information coming from Alibaba here this morning. Right, yeah. Alibaba reporting earnings. The EPS was good. The sales were good. They both beat on the estimates. I'm not really sure how much that matters today of all days. But the, the numbers for last quarter were good on the conference call. Uh, this The CEO called the coronavirus a black swan event. That's always great to hear. And uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's scary. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the stock was actually trading higher. It traded higher on the, so it got hit because everything got hit in China overnight. Then it came out at 645 this morning and they blew the numbers away. I mean, they're blowing away. $2.61 versus 220. Full disclosure, I'm still long Alibaba in my investment portfolio. I still love the company long-term. Uh, sales beat, everything beat. Stock was trading higher for a good 20 minutes. Like it was trading higher, maybe even longer than that. It was still trading higher. Despite China getting killed, the market's getting killed. This stock was actually trading green. 
The thing that brought it down was conference call comments, which you just said, and they called the CEO says the outbreak presents near-term challenges and also did say that word that this could be a black swan event. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that word black swan. Google it if you want to, you know, find out what that means. But, you know, we're talking about events that happen very seldomly that obviously are very, very serious. So, you know, and I talk, I call tail risk. I talk about that. That's why, you know, I've been buying portfolio insurance because I see a lot of tail risk here. Tail risk just being, you know, going back to your statistics courses there, uh, being that outside chance that, you know, you have this, you know, I draw it out there for you, where you've got, and obviously a lot more risk um, on an event risk here. So you could call it event risk, whatever you want. The tail risk, the event risk here is coronavirus. Tough looking chart here uh, for the Bobster. Uh, currently trading down 511, 213.20. Uh, excuse me, 219.20. You're off the pre market low. Uh, three brackets in a row. You found buyers at uh, 216, 216 and a half. That's only a couple bucks away, so I'd keep an eye on that. As a potential target um, on the downside, that coincides with uh, what do you got any daily lows in that area? Let's see here. Ah, uh, yeah, your two-day low, two fifteen twenty-nine. This is a tough one. I don't know if it if it breaches the pre-market low, then I think there's going to be much more on the downside. If they keep this bid and uh, you know rally up, I don't know if you'll see the bottom of yesterday's range. Yeah, you may. Two twenty. Let's use two twenty as resistance. Two sixteen as support. I it's I'm long Alibaba. I don't intend to sell any. I still love this company. You know, if you want exposure to China, I still think it's the best one. With that being said, um, it's just a tough environment to buy a company from China. Yep. All right, 8.35 or just about. Let's bring on our guest today, Joe Saluzzi. He is a partner and co-founder of Themis Trading. Joe, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing okay, Joe. Doing okay. Uh, we're just trying to get through the... I don't know what you want to call them, the, the headwinds that is the coronavirus or not, because the market does not seem to really care. So, like, I guess, what, what is your reaction, Joe, of uh, your interpretation of the market's reaction to the coronavirus? I mean, I, it doesn't surprise me. And I, I've been watching Dennis's tweets online. And, and I feel, you know, the market is, you know, and I feel the same way, by the way, how it's, it can just totally ignore something which could be so big. But I think what it does see is, First of all, there's momentum in the market, right? And second of all, you got the Fed in there. And when the Fed's in there, it kind of mutes everything else. But when it comes to something like this, which is kind of still unknown, it could be looking at it as, well, this is a temporary effect. We know there's going to be a problem in China. The GDP may even be negative for a quarter or something like that. But the market then says, well, if it's not a long-term thing, well, well, we'll give it a pass for a quarter. Where I'm kind of worried is, well, what happens if it's not just one quarter? What happens if it's two quarters? What happens if it spreads to other countries? What happens if you start to really, you know, disrupt supply chains around the world. Well, now you've got a much bigger issue, which could, you know, act as a derailer to any sort of momentum market. So we'll see. I, I think the jury's still out there. I think a lot of people on the last downtrend that we had, which was about 3% on the initial fears of the corona, maybe people got short, maybe people tried to lean on it, and then got whipsawed on the back on the upside. So it, uh, it, it's, I, it's something to watch. I think that's exactly what happened, Joe, um, because mm -hmm. we had the big whoosh there on that Friday when we were down 600 and people are like, oh, we need to get out. And you have people selling and you have people, mm -hmm. you know, selling short. And, you know, and I was one of them too, like not selling short, but I bought puts and my puts you know, were, were looking pretty good on that Friday. 
Um, and those puts are going to go off the board worthless because I bought some fabs and those are going to go off the board worthless because I didn't go out far enough with the protection. I, I was smarter than the next time I went out to June. So I want to give myself some time mm-hmm. for this thing to play out. But I mean, I, I totally believe that we squeezed a few people and that's what drove us to new highs is that you squeezed everybody who was selling it that day. And I'm talking, if you're looking at your chart there, I'm talking about uh, the 31st there when we hit that low on the SPY and we've been straight up ever since. Um, are, are your clients worried about this? Are you hearing anybody talk about this really? And, and what, what it, I'm just wondering, you know, what the perception is there uh, where you are. Yeah, we're not actually, uh, you know, our guys who are, more generally focused, you know, let's just say macro level, hedge, you know, mutual funds, pension funds, and so on, who are longer term holders, or we're not hearing much from okay. them. And then just people I've spoken to around the street, not necessarily clients, some are saying that, well, you know what, this market's riding. I don't want to buy it here, but I don't want to sell it either, so I'll do nothing. Yeah. And I think that's what you're seeing a lot of, kind of this ambivalent, you know, let's let it run and see what happens because I don't want to miss out on another 10% upside if we keep moving. But in the meantime, why, you know, why should I buy it here? It's kind of expensive. And I think that's why the volumes are not necessarily huge that we're seeing lately and they're kind of muted and it kind of supports that point of, hey, we'll do nothing for now until we can actually see where this thing is going. I, I think, and from what my perspective too, is every person that I talk to, obviously not the people who listen to the show, but I mean, just talking to friends and, um, you know, and going around talking to different people, I always get the same response. I'm like, are you following the coronavirus thing? And it's like, yeah, isn't it just like the flu? Like, I mean, nine out mm-hmm. of 10 times I'm hearing this. And this is what's being right. you know, said in the media too to us. This is just the flu. And I've been trying mm-hmm. to say, hey, look, you know, the flu is one thing. And yes, it kills more people than the coronavirus has. But the flu doesn't kill two to three percent of its people; it kills zero point one percent. So, mm-hmm. like, like three out of a hundred people aren't going to die with the flu. And it's usually the right. people who are dying are older people. Not, you know, we've seen obviously some deaths here where you know the Chinese doctor is forty years old. So right. it's a little bit different animal. So we're kind of comparing apples and oranges. And sometimes I explain that to other people, and sometimes I just. But that's kind of the, the perception out there. And I do believe well, that's why the markets continue to go higher too, because everybody just thinks, oh, it's another flu bug. But they should be concerned of, of the unknown part of it. And I think yesterday proves the unknown. All of a sudden, 15,000 new cases pop yes. up, which means we cannot trust. Obviously, most people know this. You can't trust the news coming out of China. You would like to have some more international folks going in there, the WHO organization and whatnot, to kind of get a real grip as to what's going on here. Because it's not just a China story for them. This could thing obviously could infect the rest of the countries around the world and so on. So we really need to find out what's going on, but you're not getting that information. And that, if anything, if I would, you know, as an investor, I'm more scared of volatility and the, the, you know, what is it? The unknown unknowns, right? Right. Yeah. And that's what it, that's what's going on here. And, but people just will shake that off. And, you know, you got the Fed yesterday saying, we'll support the markets and put the money in as if there's any downtrend, we're there for more QE. I mean, really? Are we still doing the damn QE game? Are we still doing this backstop <laughs> 12 years after the financial crisis? It's unbelievable. Let's talk. Let's talk the Fed. I mean, Powell was saying the same thing and it's on their radar and it sounded like he was ready, you know, to press the button on lowering rates if needed because of the coronavirus. I mean, here we are, the markets are trading all time highs, you know, interest rates are already at a very low level when you compare long term where they've been and he's ready to lower them again. What are your thoughts here on just the Fed having the markets back? They are pure addicts. Okay, they're addicted to free money. But, you know, Ben Bernanke was the king of all addicts. He started this thing, and the rest of them are just following along because there's no way out, right? There's no way out of, of saying everyone's afraid of a downtrend. But in the meantime, you should markets need to go where markets need to go. But there will be a, there will be a day of reckoning, of course. We don't know when. It could be 10 years, 50 years. I don't know when. But you can't just keep pumping money in 
for free, right? And this is not a, just a U.S. phenomenon. It's a global phenomenon. And look at the 10-year Greek yields, right? Less than less than 1%. Would you own 10-year Greek, Greek bonds for less than 1%? I wouldn't. Okay, but that's just a symptom of what's going on here. So I don't know when it's going to stop. I don't think it will stop anytime soon. Because people stop. are just, you know. I, right, so when it does stop, you know, when the music stops, how many chairs will be left, right? What was that, the Citibank guy a couple of years back in the financial crisis? It's a scary thing, but I don't, and I think the market right now looks at it as saying, they're not going to stop. So why should we stop? Why should I stop? You know, I'm going to underperform if I don't keep buying here, if I'm not invested. And I get it. I mean, you're a market guy. I'm a market guy. I'm not going to fight it. Do I trust? Do I believe in it? And do I agree with it? On a global perspective, absolutely not. But why would you fight it? And that's where a lot of people are. We're on the line with Joe Saluzzi from uh, Themis Trading. Joe, always great to have you on the show. Uh, back, I believe it was late. It was December 2017 when we did our Bitcoin special. It was 17, right? And mm-hmm. uh, we had experts such as yourself on the show. Uh, we also had uh, Professor Jim Angel, Peter Shaft. And at that time, there was, uh, you know, we did have some bulls on there, but it was a pretty well overwhelmingly bearish response. And it coincidentally topped out around 18, 20,000 at that time. Now a prolonged decline. You're, you're seeing a rebound here. Is this, you know, can you talk about the fundamentals behind that? Are you, I mean, I see increasing volume coming into the Bitcoin futures, price going up. Like I said, Edwards and McGee taught me that's an uptrend. What, what do you think? What's the next move here for Bitcoin? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to comment on that. I would know the price of, of that, you know, of Bitcoin. Right. You know, I, I, it's an interest. It hasn't gone away, which I would I will say is, you know, three years after we talked or, you know, two and a half years, whatever it is, it hasn't gone away, which tells you that there is staying power, right? There, There is something there. People want to own this. There is a, you know, and I think it's fine. I mean, I don't have a problem with an alternative asset class. My problem has always been about regulation and how you have to make sure the markets are at least somewhat fair. And they're still have that, from what I can see, there hasn't been any movement when it comes to really putting some serious, you know, adults in the room when it comes to regulation. So for that reason alone, I stay away from it. But if they ever do get to a point where it looks like a legitimate market, well, then you know what? An asset is an asset. If you're buying baseball cards, right, gold, crypto, I don't care. If there's a valuation to it and you think it's going up, well, go ahead and buy it. Right? But if there's a negative case to it, then that's the other side. I mean, it could be getting some movement here also, obviously, with the China fears and people looking for some sort of alternative class. Makes makes kind of sense. And you're just taught – you mentioned that, like your order flow. Like you see it coming off the desk. You said they're not really selling you know, because you don't want to miss out on the next – great move but they're not really buying either so what you know what do you think that you know would tip the scales you know one way or another like a a worsening of the the virus or because institutions i mean they move money around a lot there's a lot of rotation uh what will get them out of this wait see approach Right, and I should clarify. I mean, we see we see both here. I mean, we're agency brokers, so we're trading on behalf of clients. So I do see buying and selling all day long. You know, it's not like, but I'm not seeing position taking by you know hedge funds and so on. Those aren't necessarily our clients, so I don't have a feel for that. Sure. I've, you know, people I've talked to, or you know, not, like I said, not necessarily clients have that kind of more of the uh, professional trader types are saying, yeah, you know, why would I get involved here? Why what? Why would I sell it? Why wouldn't buy? Why wouldn't I buy it here? And so on. 
So what we're seeing on a daily basis is our regular flow that we've seen for 18 years now with MS Trading. We buy them, we sell them, we pair positions for folks, we get in, we leg in for them. You know, our job is to get in there as quietly as possible, making sure nobody else sees us so they don't run the price up or, or knock it down if we're selling. And really, from our perspective, nothing's really changed over the last couple of years. It's it's flow that we normally see, and the flow is still coming in, and, and we do our thing. But we're kind of – I wouldn't use us as a good uh, litmus test because we're not your typical Wall Street firm because we, we are just agency only, and we're not committing capital. So it is, it is yeah. a lot different yeah. here. Yeah. What about uh, time to time ask you about the IEX? Uh, how are they doing over there? Are you sending more order flow there? Are they where they want to be a couple of years after being in business? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you actually brought that up because there's something, of course, there's always something controversial going on. Uh, and the newest topic, there's, there's IEX just came out and proposed something called a D-limit order type, which I think you'll like. And we support it. Uh, we actually just wrote a comment letter to the SEC supporting it. And, and what this is, and think about the, you know, the term latency arbitrage that we've used over the years, which is essentially an HFT picking off a stale quote. So you're sitting there bidding for stock. You're in a long line of, of other folks, and you're waiting for your, you know, you don't want to cross the spread, and you finally get filled just as the stock's about to roll over. Happens a lot. So IEX said, let's come up with a method to try to protect that investor who doesn't want to get that fill when the stock's going to roll over. And they've used some sort of their technology, which is called CQI, which is a crumbling quote feature, which figures out when the quote's about to move. And rather than leaving you there, sitting you there and about to get run over, it will move your price down a tick. So essentially, it's a lid order. They currently have this technology for non-lid orders or, or non-displayed. But now they're proposing to do it on a lit basis, which we think is great because essentially it, it will level the playing field for a regular investor versus an HFT who spent you know, millions of dollars on technology to build this system to pick you off, right? So yep. it will allow you on a voluntary basis, you don't have to do it if you don't want to, to use it. It makes total sense to us, but now it's in a common period. And just like everything on Wall Street that some of the bigger folks don't like because it may upset their model and some of the HFTs may not like it because they can't pick off the flow they've been making money off of all these years, they're writing comment letters against it. So there's a battle shaping up. And here's our newest you know, fight that we're taking on, and we're going alongside our, you know, our friends at IEX saying this is a good thing. This D-limit order should be approved. It's here to help everybody. And the only people who don't seem to like it are the ones who are trying to pick off the stale quotes. So it's, yeah, I, I, would re, I would urge your listeners to take a look at it if, you know, the comment letters are out there uh, and look at both sides. And if you feel the other way, then write a comment letter the other way. But, uh, you know, the more the SEC hears, the better. It's trying to reduce the adverse election risk, which is, you know, prevalent in this market. Like I've talked, you know, we got our traders at Bright Trading and most of our traders, if you looked at us 20 years ago, we were liquidity providers. We would be willing to sit on the bid or the offer, um, you know, make a market and try to make the spread. And we're providing liquidity to the market. So the market thickens up, you know, and these are human beings. So yes, we had some algorithms too, but they're not super fast, you know, like, you know, the, the algorithms that are jumping all around. Um, obviously just trying to avoid getting picked off. So it's a, it's a little bit of a different game there now. Uh, but, you know, our traders have moved primarily from liquidity providers to liquidity takers uh, for the reasons you're citing is that if I throw a bid or an offer out there, the only time I'm getting done is when the quote's mm -hmm. rolling over. And yep. so I'm getting basically picked off. And what mm -hmm. we mean by the quote roll is when the bid is becoming the ask or the ask is, you know, going to become the bid. So that's the quote rule. So typically what happens is the investor is usually at the back of the queue. So you're only getting done usually. And we studied this at the CFA Institute. I studied this. Um, I actually was part of the study um, with uh, Svi Rosa from the CFA Institute. You can read about it back from 2017. And what we discovered in that study was that the lit quote, the quote that's out there that you see, 
it's primarily getting a, a transacted against only when it's about to roll. So you see all this off exchange stuff happening and then the quote rolls and they pick off all the quotes and then the bid becomes the ask and everybody gets picked off. So you really have the only people who, are, who can provide liquidity in this market are the same high frequency traders that are picking off the quotes. So most of your liquidity out there right now is all high frequency liquidity. So anything that they can do, any type of order type that they can do to incentivize other types of participants to provide liquidity, I'm all for it. Absolutely. And Dennis, think about what you just said. If most people aren't lighting up quotes because it's pretty much toxic out there and they'd rather go to the dark, what has happened to, a, to the limit book? To the limit book, which is supposed to be a diverse order book of, of traditional flow, you know, short-term flow and so on, it's gone. So it's emptied out, which gives you more potential of problems when, when volatility does happen. So like you just said, anything that can help increase liquidity is a good thing. And, and I think they've proven it at IEX. Actually, they, in, their, in their documents, they show why this you know, in certain um, times, how the quote rolls. And it's actually only a, a few minutes a day when this, or a couple of milliseconds when these things happen. And they noticed it right away because of that indicator that they created. And they said, if we can fix just a few of these problems during the day, it's going to enhance li liquidity, which is a good thing for price discovery. So just like you said, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it will help. And hopefully, you know, folks who hear this, you know, write a letter. You know, let's get this thing going. All right. Joe Saluzzi is partner and co-founder of Themis Trading. Joe, thanks for the time and have a good one. All right, guys. Have a good day. Good luck out there. Thanks, Joe. Yep. All right. Take care. All right. Let's get to some earnings here. We only covered like one or two. Let's do... <laughs> let's rip. Let's rip. We do Cisco? Well, let's do AMAT yeah, Let's first. do AMAT. Let's, let's, okay, let's, sure. Yeah, let, let's do Applied Materials. They were yesterday after the close. The Q1 adjusted EPS was good, 98 cents mm. versus 92 cents. Sales were also good, 4.16 versus $4.1 billion. So a beat and a beat last quarter as far as the guidance that they gave. The adjusted EPS that they gave was higher than estimates. The sales guidance they gave was also higher than estimates. So strong guidance to go with strong earnings for AMAT. The chips just remain hot. And, you know, we've seen this again and again. I did sell my Micron yesterday. I couldn't resist. Um, you know, the, the anxiety guy who was driving the bus won. You know, I joked about him. People were finding that pretty funny about how I was, like, I'm talking about the, the Herman's head. But anyways, I looked at it. I looked at it, and I was like, the 60-61 area was a major resistance back in 2018. It's cyclical. I couldn't help myself. I sold my Micron yesterday. But um, anyways, the Micron's trained down slightly here in the pre-market. But it's, chips could turn around here to applied materials you know and, and i'm still on my nvidia so i still have that one so i've still got a few a little bit of exposure there but um you know this has been an unbelievable mover i mean really when you put it in perspective um you know really and we can go look at the applied materials chart you know beginning of 2019 the stock was 30 dollars. here we're a year later it's 65 so we've come full circle applied materials kind of the same thing looks eerily similar really to the micron 2018 early 2018 tops out of 60 gets cut in half to 30 gets her all back and now you're up here at 66 you're coming in investing it now or is this cyclical yeah it's cyclical we don't know where we are in the cycle maybe it's going to continue maybe the party continues for a while here uh but i'm not investing in it up here trade still looks good though it's trade the trend is still your friend uh, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at AMAT trading at a new all-time high up above. Is that all-time high? Uh, yeah, it is. Did you go back well, even to the year 2000? Uh, Did you go back to 2000? Yeah. You always go back. Whenever you look at the chart, you look at 10 years, <laughs> like, oh, new all-time high. But then you go back to 2000, you're like, uh, uh, uh. Yeah, That's how crazy the tech bubble was back then. Now it broke out. Uh, 55 was the high. During 55 was the high back then. in one. Yeah. So here you are. You held for 20 years. You're up 10 bucks. Congratulations. Uh, but, I mean, you guys are going to probably – 
think I'm crazy on this one, but pull up the uh, the pre-market chart from uh, Lyft yesterday, please, because I totally got this one wrong. Oh, me too. Uh, I thought it might find uh, some support uh, at 5051. Uh, yeah. Nope. No, uh, 51. I was like, there's some, it was just eerily quiet there. And I'm like, well, someone's supporting supporting it here at 51. I didn't look at they the They stopped supporting it. That someone, <laughs> that someone was selling it at 51 too. So, oh, yeah. Uh, there's a buyer, there's a seller. Exactly. The seller won. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so using that example for the AMAT today, I just, it's just so quiet here. You know, look at this consolidation, you know, uh, on the 15 minute chart, you know, going back since it reopened at four, 66 and a half, like to 67, just chopping, chopping, chopping. So, you know, go with the momentum, you know, breaks above 67, boom, 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 higher prices ahead. It broke below the 66 and a half. You might see some profit taking, but uh, just using that analogy from yesterday, uh, looking at AMAT there, uh, let's see what happens. And this is just for the short term today. If you're a long-term holder and you got a target at 75 and stick with your target, stop or whatever. I'm just looking at the after hours and the pre-market trading, noticing the consolidation periods can be more important than, you know, spike highs and lows, S&Ps, making Oh, buy the dip always seems to yeah. be. Look at all those green candles. They aren't worried about anything I'm talking about. That's why puts. I think the puts is the best way. I can stay fully invested, participate in the rally, and I can sleep at night. I okay. think the puts and stuff, like flat out short in stocks is not the way, obviously, because that just keeps right. Like Joe was saying, that's what really propelled this rally, Joel. Everybody on that day was selling, and then they're selling short, and they got spanked. And, you know, I was bearish, but I bought the puts. I got spanked a little bit. I'm obviously my 220, everything I bought at 320. Eight spy, I think, or, or, or uh, three, yeah, the three twenty-five. I have that's going to expire worthless. I mean, I have two weeks left with it. The odds of that coming back in the money are probably pretty slim. Uh, but I mean, people were flat out short in stocks. And if you were flat out short in stocks, you lost a lot more than three percent. You sure did. Uh, let's do. Uh, oh, maybe not. Yeah, you know, lost about five percent. Uh, let's do this. It depends what you're shorting. Uh, depends what you're shorting exactly. <laughs> Uh, let's do the Cisco kid. I think, I, yeah, used to, I think we both own this one. Don't we? Oh yeah. Kids? Horrible. This has been a horrible investment here. I, I had hopes for it this quarter. I was going in. I was like, maybe they're actually going to say something. Okay. The hopes are all completely dashed here now. This morning. Well, the numbers were good. They beat on their, their earnings per share by a penny. There were slight beats, slight earnings per share beat and slight sales beat. And they also raised their dividend by a penny the 35 cents, the 36 cents per share. So the numbers were good. Uh, what they said on the call uh, wasn't wasn't great. They said uh, uh, orders for the quarter were down 6%. Uh, there were some other things, but the, the numbers themselves were, were fine. They were slightly above expectations. I just think maybe the, they weren't, uh, wasn't, enough, wasn't enough of a beat. In any regard, the stock disappoints here. Once again, investors are using the opportunity just to sell the hell out of it. I don't know what to say. I've got a long-term portfolio. I'm in from around 50. It got back there. I was basically even yesterday at, you know, this time yesterday or actually at the close. And it's all, you know, I'm down to this investment again. So it's a long-term portfolio. Um, you know, it's got, it's got, it trades at a cheap valuation, but I guess it trades there for a reason. Uh, 47.30, that's your last print down 253. That's a big move for Cisco on the downside, but you know what? Not really like showing signs of bouncing here. Uh, boom, 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 going to the 15-minute chart. 
pre-market low, 47.11, 19 cents above that. Switching over the dailies here, man, there's just, you had a lot of air between 46 and 48 and a half. So if that breaks that 47.11 low that coincides with the February 4th low, you got a little open area up here down to 46.21. So for the bulls here, you better defend uh, that pre-market low at 47.11. Daily low also there uh, from February 4th. I wonder, TripAdvisor next. Okay. Uh, this has been something I've been watching just because it is a travel stock. Yeah. And I uh, wanted to see what they say. I don't actually know if they said too much. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to the call, unfortunately. The, the numbers yesterday were, were good. Their earnings were good. EPS beat, sales beat. Uh, and the stock is higher, at least uh, last I checked. Um, but this one just is interesting for how it relates to coronavirus. And I, you know, if you've looked at a daily chart, you've seen this just step down, step down seller. But very interesting to see how this one uh, has been reacting to the coronavirus because it is a travel company. Huh. Stock trading higher on the report, uh, trading higher last night as well. It's one, I guess this has been like the dog of the group, right? Because I always put the three of them together, Expedia, TripAdvisor, and Booking. And when you look at the long-term charts, you know, BKNG, you know, it's, it's not that far off the all-time highs. We got the all-time at 2228, 1960. You know, you're off like maybe 10, 12% from the all-time highs. Then you go look at Expedia. It's off a little bit more, 160. It's off 50 points. It's off about 25% from the all-time highs. Then you look at TripAdvisor. TripAdvisor was $111 and it's 30. I mean, you're talking about stocks like 75% off its all-time highs. So obviously uh, this stock has been the dog of the three. Um, I don't know if that changes, if there's a catch-up trade here eventually or not, but this isn't the type of environment that I'm looking for, the catch-up trade here. So resistance up here around 32. We'll see what happens today, but hard to get excited about this stock. Uh, on the headline number, someone got real excited, took it up to 33.40, and uh, boom, boom. A lot of volume traded on that bracket as well. Then you've kind of settled in. Sellers at 32. I'm looking at uh, the dailies here. And since it had that real bad day in December, uh, your high of the move has been 3167. Uh, 30, that was flanked by a 3165 high and a 3140 high. So it's, to me, it's opening in the resistance here at 3165. And I think even if you get there through there, you, you find more sellers at 32. Long consolidation period. Don't know if this is a good enough report like to get this thing like 32 bid, 32 and a half, you get back up to 30. It's, it's tough to, it, it depends. I mean, if we shrug off and we've seen this trade happen, um, you know, the last few days where we're really shrugging off the coronavirus fears. Um, you know, obviously, you know, overnight here, we've had some bad news, but you know, really this market is still kind of shrugging it off and I wouldn't be surprised if it does it again. Um, you know, look at Las Vegas Sands. I mean, this just shows you how crazy this market is. The stock is just ripping. So since that low, when, you know, the casinos are shutting down and it's all going to be ugly back on 2761 uh, to 71, Las Vegas stands straight up. And it was trying, you know, yesterday to approach the highs, which is incredible considering, you know, what is happening over in China and a huge chunk of the revenue comes from there. When resorts the same, you know, it's got, you know, over half of the losses back from the coronavirus. Like TripAdvisor, Expedia, 
booking are all, you know, not as direct hit, but, you know, people are a little hesitant on, oh, should I go traveling? You know, where I want to go here. I definitely don't want to go to China. Do I want to go anywhere right now? I do want to sit my home for a couple months. This is kind of a little bit, you know, and the airlines, the same thing. It's a little bit of a coronavirus um, trade where, and people are going to be nervous to own these stocks if, or, or, or people might want to not own these, or people might be nervous to book a trip, which could hit the bottom line on some of these companies coming forward. So all depends on what happens. It's the wild card out there, but this is also a coronavirus stock. I think about. And then speaking of those types of names, MGM this morning, or yesterday actually uh, reported earnings yeah. and they withdrew their guidance because they, you just, you don't know. They don't know. Right. And they have a lot less exposure than winning Las Vegas Sands over in Macau. But they don't know how this is going to play out. Nobody knows. Nobody knows how this is going to play out. Nobody knows. Um, and, and MGM also, you know, also reported, which is a bigger issue, is that they reported um, a cash tender offer there. Um, so it, was, it looks like, and I haven't read about this, but it looks like a Dutch auction maybe, 20, 34 to 29. So they're looking to purchase. They're looking to purchase more shares, but they're looking to do this significantly under the the certain uh, under the price. I don't know who's going to tender yeah. those. That was this morning. So the, yeah. the, the earnings were yesterday, then this morning, about yeah. a, a half hour ago, they they announced this cash tender offer. Uh, that they're well, going they announced to buy. a buyback, a three billion dollar buyback last night. They right. announced this. They raised a quarry. They did everything right, and then they did this offering, and the stock is trading red. I mean, the stock did give it back last night, too. And you also had uh, a changes, too, coming. Did you not have CEO step down? Yeah, CEO step down. Yep. Yeah, so all kinds of news here. Uh, there's so many balls getting thrown in the air here. I don't even know how to juggle those balls. I'm just out. I'm not going to trade this. Yeah. Woo! Lots to say on him, Jim. Um, Joel, did you want to look at the chart? Because Ah, oh, man, you guys things. are like. Yeah, me in a fast. There's a lot going on there. I know. Ah. They're trying to repurchase. One point looks like two five billion. Looks like a, like a thirty-four to twenty-nine. So not more than thirty-four, not less than twenty-nine. So they're trying to buy it under the current market price. So what's uh, opening. Let's see here. You're currently trading at thirty. So it's a buyback, but they're only buying it if it's within a certain range. Well, they announced the three billion dollar buyback, and then they announced this morning they're trying to buy one point two. Five billion dollars worth of stock so maybe part of it it looks like part of the buyback they're trying to buy below the current price so that's interesting yeah yeah that's very true. usually you see that's easy these dutch auctions you usually see them above the current price because they got to give incentive to the people to tender their shares they're going to buy between 29 and 34 dollars who's tendering their shares at 29 the stock's 32.80 so <laughs> nobody's tendering there maybe tender them at 34 I don't know. You got yeah. trouble buying it below, unless we really have an epic collapse in the price of MGM. Um, I don't know who's tendering the shares at twenty nine bucks. I wouldn't. Nobody. Uh, in the open market. we're down eighty five cents. Uh, we are trading. Where are we currently trading? We're we're trading at thirty two eighty one. So man, this thing's got to get back over yesterday's low. It's got to get a thirty three bid, or I see us testing your two day low of thirty two twenty four. But your super extra major support comes well, in. I like it when you say super extra major. At 31, you got a double bottom at 31 at 22 and 31 in a quarter. 903 here, Spencer. You're uh, We're keeping you overtime. No, again. that's okay. I, actually, I had one question I wanted to ask. It was from a listener, but I, we can always do it tomorrow. Sure, let's do it now. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it now. Okay. So this goes back to our conversation earlier, but it's a great question, Dennis, to your point about how. Uh, newer investors who haven't been in a bear market. Let's let's say we do go into a bear market for real. Like let's just pretend. What would that do 
to the liquidity and spreads. Widen significantly. So, and your volatility. So just, you know, you want to see, and bear markets are all together different. So you have bear markets, and then you could talk like the financial crisis, which was your bear of all bears, you know, okay. where the markets fall 70%. Um, your spreads widen significantly, your liquidity drops significantly, and your VIX spikes. The VIX, believe it or not, during the financial crisis at one point in time, got up to 90, yep. nine zero. So you're talking about, you know, the volatility in the stocks is four to five times as much. As a trader, I love that environment because you have more volatility, it's more inefficiencies, there's more opportunity to profit, there's bigger moves. So, you know, I actually had my best trading years um, during the financial crisis because there's just so many inefficiencies. You know, I'm an inefficiency trader. I trade market neutral. So market going down, from my trading perspective, market going down, market going up doesn't matter to me. Um, but I will say I do better in down markets than I do up markets from a trading perspective. From an investing perspective, I can remember during the financial crisis, it's like, I made a whole bunch of money trading today, but I watched my portfolio fall <laughs> even more than I made. I was like, I worked my butt off today. I kicked butt trading, but my long-term investments fell so much. And I lost more of my long-term portfolio than I did trading. So, you know, that's why I like up markets for the longer term perspective. I like to make money on my long-term money as well. But from a trading perspective, um, when you get into these bear markets, you get into environments like this, the spreads get wider, the liquidity. And if you're trying to get in and out of stocks, you're paying more, basically. Um, well, and, you uh, know, there's a lot more volatility. Yeah. Also, though, um, you know, I don't know how, you know, active everyone is, but, you know, put orders out there. I mean, I know there's wider spreads and everything. Yeah, but in in that can, environment. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you trade a thousand shares, maybe trade 500 shares. But yeah. Cause yeah. you're making so much more, you might want to, you, you know, and we're not in a bear market. So we're just saying, yeah, you know, we'll have lots of time to talk about this type of stuff and the scenarios. If we actually get into sure. one, we will yeah. be in one once again, one so, will happen, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's some unknown, whether it's financial crisis part two, I mean, eventually there will be another bear market. I know it seems impossible with the Fed at its back, but, you know, the Fed, you know, is trying out the markets back, back in 2007 and 2008 too. And it, and it obviously did succeed in the end, but it was dicey there for a while. All right. 906. We've really kept Spencer That is a quite there. all right. It was a good question I wanted to get to. If you missed any part of our show, you can always catch our podcast or rewatch the show on youtube.com slash TV. Thanks to our guest today, Joe Saluzzi, and thanks to everyone in our chats on YouTube and premarket.benzinga.com. I uh, want to remind you all about the upcoming Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference, end of the month, February 24th and 25th in Miami. To learn more, go to benzingaevents.com. You can always call us, as that person did, 734-494-0246, or, or email us, premarket at benzinga.com. Dot com. Please remember, as always, that all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes only, not for investing or trading advice. Everyone have a great rest of your Thursday. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.